The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith. Joining me today is Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Ethan and I are both certified financial planners. I have a master's degree in financial analysis. Ethan has one in financial planning. And this show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas in hopes of helping you make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. We want to help you build wealth, retain wealth, and enjoy the fruits of your labor, as our partner Jack Monteith likes to say. Today on the show, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, loaning uh, money to family and friends, Ethan, a topic we were going to get to last week. All right. Uh, we could do a little market overview if you want to. Okay. Um, but uh, more importantly, I wanted to get into an area of your retirement planning expertise, one of, your, one of the key secrets in your presentation that you've been giving about retirement planning is how to maximize or optimize Social Security. Right. So I thought we could talk about the, uh, a few of those topics. I think that sounds great. Uh, within Social Security optimization. And uh, before we do all that, would you mind giving out our contact information and tell them a little oh, bit yeah. about what we can do? Yeah, it's the least I could do. Least I could oh. do. Uh, we're available at uh, via email at contact at empiradio.com or via phone today. Actually live on the on the show if you'd like to give us a call at 866 472 5790. Um, if you prefer to give us a call and, and want to ask questions specific about your, your situation or would like a second opinion on your portfolio or your retirement plan, it probably would be best to give us a call at our, our office line here uh, in Seattle at 206-923-3474 and ask to speak with Ken or Ethan, and we'll be happy to help with you. Happy to help you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. Uh, Ethan, well, I, why don't, do you mind if we do a quick... Uh, just a year-to-date market overview since we're getting to the end of the month here. I think we should. January. Um, <clears throat> so a couple of things. Elliot, give, I don't know if you got your copy of the update here. I'll, I'll dig it up here, yeah. Um, but if we look at uh, the Dow today, closed at 13,860, down a, just shy of 50, 50 points. Mm-hmm. But uh, overall, we've had a pretty good um, month in the market. Ethan, if we look at the year-to-date um, numbers, and I'm just going to click through some of the equity positions that we like to track. Yeah. And I'm going to sort these real quick by the um, what's up the most for the year. Large U.S. value, when we talked about the 
size and value of premiums in the last few weeks, actually. Mm-hmm. But large U.S. value, uh, if we look at the DFA fund, it's up 7.51% year-to-date. Wow, really? That's just year-to-date in the month of January. So uh, here again, that's more than, than uh, some of the prognosticators were saying we would have over the next several years, right? If we got that, we'd get... With the, that's not bad for the first month of the, of the year. Wow. Um, yeah, if we look at U.S. small value year-to-date up about 5.76%, it's just a, a general small cap portfolio up 5.6%. And if you look at the U.S. just, I guess, S&P 500 large cap up about 53 year-to-date. Mm-hmm. Um, so global equity portfolio, the Fed global fund is up about 5.2 for the year. Um, not bad, not bad. And uh, then you can kind of go down the international components, um, right around 5% for small international small value, international value 4.88, international small company 4.33, large international developed 4.31. The emerging markets thus far are lagging, um, but they're positive. General emerging markets uh the emerging markets value portfolio up 1.71 year to day. So the general emerging markets just up three tenths of a percent. And that happens. We yeah. expect that to. It, it's pretty interesting to see the variance in just a single month that the up uh, U.S. large value up 7.5 and your your uh, emerging markets up 0.33. It's another great example of how diversification can work to your benefit. Right. Um, that's what's going on there. If we look at uh, the um, interest rates real quick, Ethan, the uh, five-year treasury is about 0.88, the 10-year treasury 1.99. So last week, uh, you know, that's up from last week a little bit on both of those. The uh, 10-year was down to 1.85 last week, uh, hmm. last Thursday when mm-hmm. we did we looked at this. Um, if you're looking at inflation-protected treasuries, the uh, yields on the five-year negative 1.45 and negative uh, 0.57 on the 10-year. And what that does give you an, an inflationary break-even rate of um, 2.33 on the five-year and 2.56 on the uh, 10-year. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. So... So inflation, uh, current inflation is is, is priced in the it's priced in the market anyway is, is is pretty low. Yeah, if we look at the ten year inflation, the, the spread there, your the market's minus a little bit of an insurance premium you get you pay for the tips mm-hmm. for the treasury inflation, but um, it's not they're not pricing in a, a whole heck of a lot of inflation. Yeah, there for ten for the next ten years, it's about two and a half percent, right? Yeah, right. Uh, if if we experience greater than that, you will have done better in the inflation-protected treasury. Right. If we experience less than that, you will have done worse. Right. So we like to include a little of both in most portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we look at the prime rate, still three and a quarter. And if we look at uh, the average on 30-year mortgage, uh, 3.61%, Ethan. Wow. So up a little bit from 3.45 last week. Mm-hmm. That's just a quick overview of the general market and some of the indices and what's gone on year to date. That's great. 
Before we, uh, let's start with, if you don't mind, Ethan, I'd like to start with the uh, topic of our, it's on, this is one of our blogs, Should I Loan Money to Family or Friends? Okay. That uh, I contribute a little bit to this. I know Eric put some work into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and uh, so let's click through it. So loaning money to family or friends. Now, there are many reasons why loaning money to family or friends uh, may be unsuitable. For certain individuals, and an uncomfortable subject for those who choose to do it. Yeah. Have uh, you ever had? Have you ever had a family member ask you for money, Ethan? Have you ever experienced that, or do you avoid those conversations uh, at all costs? I have never loaned anybody money. You refuse. I have given money when, when asked. Oh, well, that's interesting. But I, I haven't chosen to, to say, "Hey, let's make sure this is a loan," and you know. Okay. And I, it hasn't been significant dollars either, so I'm not too concerned about it. Well, it's an interesting topic because, you know, with a lot of the retirement research and something we've been focusing on is this whole retirement scenario. And the generation of baby boomers right now are dealing with, they call it the, uh, the sandwich, uh, generation, I guess, because you have a situation where parents may still be around. Yeah. That you're, you're dealing with addressing their needs, but also now you have adult children. Right, um, and one of those two set generations may need some financial assistance, or both. Um, or you're dealing with siblings. Yeah, you know, I know uh, in my case that I've got a lot of brothers and sisters, and at varying times, um, we've they've been in different financial situations, mm-hmm. good and bad. Mm-hmm. So, how it can be difficult to turn other people down, or family members down, um, or withhold help, especially if close family members are involved. Given the sensitive nature of these situations, money can complicate and sometimes poison meaningful relationships. And you have the most recent economic downturn. Uh, A lot of adult children are seeking more financial support from their parents. And often on a long-term basis, the quality of interaction we have with close family and friends is very important. So we thought we would share a few tips that may help you manage through those situations. And keep the relationship with a borrowing child, friend, or family from unraveling. Uh, make sure you have the money to lend. So the first thing is, loaning money is is sometimes a gamble. Just like buying a, a, a high-yield bond mm-hmm. um, or buying a stock, right? Sometimes it pans out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, in this case, you should never loan money if it could threaten your own financial safety and goals. That's one of our... First pieces of advice with regard to this situation. It's pretty reasonable, yeah. Um, also, I think it's a little bit easier to explain to someone why you're not in a position yeah. to loan them money besides, hey, I just don't want to. Right. Um, no, it would jeopardize. And part of that is understanding what your financial situation is. And so I think a lot of times, Ethan, I'm just speaking out of the paper here, but a lot of times when people come to you <clears throat> in their moment of crisis, um, it may not be that you, if you're giving them the money now, it may be that, well, hey, I can make my current payments, but what you're sacrificing is the you in retirement, for example, or your kids going to college or other goals. It just may be not this moment, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's important then to understand what your retirement objectives and other financial objectives are. Also have a good idea where they're pri- how they're prioritized. And some may be more or less flexible. So if you had a, a, a goal to buy a, a second home or vacation home uh, or a cabin or something, you might be willing to forego that objective in order to be able to help a family member in a tough situation. Sure. 
But would you be able to, would you be interested in foregoing the ability for your children to have their education paid for? Yeah, probably not. Is that a different scenario? Sure. Would you be willing to uh, withhold or, or work for another couple of years um, and not be able to retirement if to, to, to help that person? Particularly if, if the help is one in which um, maybe they weren't responsible in how they wound up in that situation. Right. Um, and maybe they won't be perfectly responsible in the future either. Uh-huh. It helps you to understand what your objectives are and what bucket of money, you know, that they that you're helping them from. If it's, hey, I've met all my financial objectives and now I have a surplus, I don't mind, or I might I might approach that slightly in a different way mm-hmm. than I would approaching it from the position of, hey, this is these are these are things that I my family, my immediate family, kids, wife, uh, myself in retirement that I that we're now I'm risking. Even on a more severe basis would be, hey, do we have money to cover medical expenses or to cover our basic living expenses, right? So right. never put yourself, I, th- I think it's a good place to start is to say it's not selfish to say that I have to take care of these objectives and priorities before I can get involved in that. Um, <clears throat> ask why the money is needed. So this is a delicate question, asking why the money is needed, Ethan. Once you know the reason, you know, then you have, you can consider some issues. And that would be, are you willing, Ethan, would you be willing to lend uh, a family member money for a luxury or an unneeded item? <laughs> <laughs> a little bling there. Uh, uh, certainly less likely, right? You know, would you want to know that? Would that make a difference to you? That sure. They, would. Uh, okay. Um, your brothers are coming to you because they want to. They want to soup up their car or put a big muffler yeah, exactly. like Simon does or what, whatever. Another um, fin or a whale tail for the vehicle. Another whale tail for, for, for little bro's car. Some new rims or something. If the loan is for vital reasons. <laughs> Thank you, Simon, for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> if you're making a loan and it is important or vital, it's a vital issue, are you fixing or are you prolonging the issue? Right. Now, I've had experience with that that, Hey, maybe they really do legitimately need it. Maybe they're running a business, for example. But maybe when you tear it all apart and you get into it, deep into the, the situation, maybe all you're doing is extending the inevitable for another week or two. But now you've put yourself in financial strain. Maybe there's not, they're on their way into bankruptcy, right? Or right. they're, they're, and really we're all doing an exercise here, hoping that some, something falls out of the sky and things work out. Mm-hmm. But, if you understand that, at least you're in a better position to be less frustrated when things do bomb. Right? Exactly. Is there a non-financial solution to the problem? So is there another opportunity? And so maybe they are perfectly capable of getting a job or taking on some work or earning. Um, maybe that's not their preference, but sometimes it's easier to go to someone and say, hey, I'd, would you mind lending me some money or you... Uh, is there another way to solve the issue at hand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How is the loan recipient's uh, financial management? You know, are, do they are they responsible with what they have? But they've just come across some tough times, yep. an unexpected emergency or medical issue or something of that nature. But do they have a long history of being financially responsible? You know, if not, you're most likely not only will you have no expectation of ever getting the money, but it's very likely you're really not helping them in the long run. Sure. you have any other comments about that, Ethan? 
Uh, you know, not, not yet. I mean, we can summarize this at the end of at least my ideas. But Are you willing to loan money to individuals who already owe, owe you money? <laughs> uh, it so seem, seems less likely, I guess. Once we start that, or you open that box, yeah. um, are you willing to keep investing in it? Yeah. You know, with the idea that, well, if I have this, then I can get to this, so I can pay you. But are you willing to go down that? Um, I, I have some ideas on all of these. It's a slippery wicket when you get down to that, that stuff. Is it? I think so. Okay. So, you know, it can be uncomfortable to treat the situation as a business transaction when you're dealing with family, right? Yeah. But if the recipient is really serious about repaying the loan, they'll understand the importance of drawing up a contract. Sure. This will protect you from any misconceptions or memory lapses later on that tend to occur frequently <laughs> in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some things you might want to do. So now we're, we're assuming here that, that you actually do want to be paid back and that they want to treat it as a loan. You may even say, I want to give this to you. No, no, no. I want to pay you back, Ethan. That's what the I want to make sure I pay every little cent. Well, once they've set those expectations and you've agreed to that, that this is some sort of a loan, then why not take the steps to map out how much am I loaning you? What interest rate, if there is going to be one? Yeah. Um, are we going to be assessing late fees <laughs> if we don't get payments? Will that accumulate? Right. Uh, these are the basic essentials of any loan contract that, you know, in a publicly commercial domain, you'd be like, what are the terms? Is it a lump sum payment? Is it going to be multiple payments? Uh, a loan due date, you know, when did the first payment occur and when will we be paid off? If you need help building an amortization schedule and you're dealing with this, let us know. I'd like to put some of those types of tools up on our site. Mm-hmm. Um, so treat it as a regular business transaction and get as many of the details captured in writing as possible. Yeah, well, no question about it. If you, if you decided that, hey, the loan is the best idea, uh, then certainly you want to go through with all that stuff. I mean, I guess it all depends on dollar amount. If it's 500 bucks, hey, I'm not so sure. But the more money that it is, more certainly in, in, you want to make sure you get paid back, particularly if you're considering it a loan. Go through the process of getting this, this stuff ironed out in detail. Um, so if you want to lend somebody $50,000, a large chunk of change, um, and you're not considering it a gift, it's a loan, then you definitely want to go through the, the, the trouble of setting it up like that. And I think, Ethan, this is the next item is a good one. Turn down habitual borrowers. So if certain people in your lives are notorious, they're notorious for never paying you back, mm-hmm. instead offer to pay for financial counseling to help them overcome the routine behaviors that led them to continually borrowing money. So if they're constantly running up their credit card or constantly spending all their money on commercial item, you know, depreciating assets or Going out to nice restaurants and things of that nature, um, you know, the best way you can help them would be to invest. And I, I think a lot of people would think this is kind of funny, <laughs> <laughs> including me. I think because I, I didn't put this one in here, but it's pretty, pretty fun. Um, to redirect them and say, "Hey, I'll pay for some of your counseling." Yeah, certainly. Uh, um, or by constantly supplying loans without consequences, it, it leads to distrust and eventually ruins the relationship. So. We've got a few more about this, Ethan. We've got to take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll finish our discussion on lending money to friends or family, and then we'll move on to our discussion about how to optimize Social Security or avoid some pitfalls there. We'll be right back. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, tune in to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Um, if you'd like to join the show today, feel free to give us a call or, or shoot us an email. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or 866-472-5790. And uh, right before the break, we're just wrapping up our conversation uh, about loaning money to family members. And can I think we have a couple more points to go over? Then we're going to... Segway to something else, is that right? That's correct. Okay. You are 100% correct, Ethan. All right. Okay, so enforce the agreement. There's always a chance that uh, the borrower will not pay you back. And so either, whether it's intentional or unintentional, it's uh, it's always a good idea to enforce the agreement. So if payments are missed or the uh, borrower has trouble abiding by the other agreed-upon terms, refer to the contract and the stipulations that we talked about you are going to set up uh, to address the issue at hand and referencing the agreement will help keep it from getting too personal yeah uh, consider making the loan a gift so here's another idea to be honest with you this would be, this, this would be my first idea this would be your first and favorite probably idea. Mm-hmm. yeah unless it's obviously a larger a ton, a ton of money but yeah you know if it's Marginal amount of money, I'd probably be inclined to do that first, just so I don't have to avoid any. I can avoid any other problems, or ruining a relationship, or yeah. any of those things. Well, I think the reason why this is important is proportion to your proportionally to your 
financial situation, none of this would be a problem if someone came, if your brother came to you either and said, I can have $20. No problem. I, I don't know that you would make a contract, right? But we're assuming that we're talking about enough money where you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? That's the point where all this is, like, you're saying, hmm, that's enough money I would like to get paid back. Sure. Or, um, but one of the ideas here that I've had and picked up over the years from someone else actually, uh, was, hey, if you are dealing with family, um, and particularly if you have a situation where you're married and you have family and mm-hmm. your partner had, has family, your spouse has family, and over the course of that relationship, different members may be coming in and asking for these things. One strategy would be to say, hey, um, we can go through the motions of, of this, but ultimately I'm not going to lend more than I'm willing to lose. And that was one of the first things. Say, don't lend money that would jeopardize your financial future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, if you do and you don't get paid back, hey, it's a gift. But after that gift, there won't be any more gifts, right? So if if it is a gift, I mean, you can just look at it that way. You know, like you said, hey, maybe there's – you let them have the – agreement that they're going to pay you but in your mind you've you've determined hey this is a gift there's a lot less stress um and you and you're right i'm backing up a little bit here if you can afford it and you don't need to be paid back yeah then that's a much better way to approach it Mm -hmm. if it's for all the right like we've gone through all the the questions we've got and it's all the right reasons um then that's not a bad thing and uh just be clear, you know, you can be clear at that point that you don't want to be paid back as well. Um, and this idea, like I said, of creating kind of a lifetime limit is helpful because then in your own mind you've set boundaries and you're not being caught uh, off guard mm-hmm. where you haven't thought things through and someone gets you in an uncomfortable. Yeah. You, you've already thought all this through well in advance and if they've exceeded it, then there is no more. You know? Pretty reasonable. So anyway, I think that's really the, uh, those were the key, key points here about loaning your friends and family money. Okay. The other thing you have to be careful of and uh, is the is the way it gets treated in terms of estate tax or gift tax? Sure. Um, theoretically, if you give somebody more than thirteen thousand, is that the number this year? Ethan, thirteen thousand dollars. I think that it is per person. I'll double check that. Okay, for yeah, double, anyway. double check that. We want to get. Hammered. I know it was last year. If it is, um, and you give somebody the money. If it's a gift, that could be a potential issue, right? If you get more than than that. Now, if you're married, that's for each person could theoretically give that thirteen, so twenty six thousand in that case for husband and wife. Correct. To give to one person, right? But if you're giving more than that, and it is a gift, then you need to be aware of that. What 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 the potential consequences are there? Yep. And if you are lending the money, and you don't charge interest. That is also a different issue. Yeah, it's a problem. So I would recommend speaking with your with your advisor or your tax professional if you are getting involved in these kinds of transactions. Indeed, just so you understand what the what the consequences may be. And after you've been educated on that, you're you're willing to proceed. But um, 
yeah, if you, if if you do lend the money and there's there is no interest, then the the amount that should have been earned, the IRS will use some basic amount would be um, would be treated. It would have it would have the whole thing would have been treated as a gift. They never pay you back. Um, so that's correct. All right, let's move into the Social Security discussion, Ethan. I think we should. So I know part of that's a a pretty pretty important part of your planning process. And there was an article that you you found that um, goes well, fits well, dovetails, as you like to say, right, with what you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to go through that? Do you want me to read through that, or what? How do you want to proceed? Yeah, let's go. Maybe. Um, well, hey, before we get to that, yeah, if, yeah, before we get there, the annual gift exclusion for 2013 is fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, fourteen just, for what year? This year? For this year, 2013. Okay, okay. So it's a little more than last year, so. Just yeah, want to clarify. You that. deserve it. <laughs> you deserve it, Ethan. Indeed. I think so I do. fourteen thousand per person. Right. Okay. Exactly. Good. Yeah, Thank so you. part of the uh, the discussion about social security is I, I think an important one, and we talked about this the other day, you know, as to why, why do we why do we tackle it first in the presentation that we've been given with the five secrets of retirement success. Which by the way is, is a, a short version of that is posted on a video on our website at empirical.net if you'd like to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. But we tackle social security first for the for the main reason that you know, how much – all this retirement planning really boils down to how much can we pull out of our portfolio safely, right? And right. That's, in essence, that's the deal. So what we're trying to do here is if we – to understand that, we first have to understand what we're going to get from other sources like Social Security or like pensions. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why it's step number one basically. All right. It lays, the, I think, a good good ground groundwork to figure out, well, how much then can I draw from my portfolio once I understand and, and then maximizing that particular benefit, i.e. Social Security. Um, i.e.? I like saying i.e. I don't know. But anyway, so one of the common common issues I think uh, that I see with Social Security as I meet with people is that most folks, in general, I would say, um, have already decided what they want to do with it. Before we get together, they, they come in and have an idea what they're planning on doing. And most often, more often than not, it's, it's somebody some variation of taking it early is usually the, uh, the, the preferred method of, of drawing Social Security. Um, and so we go. Th- I go through a little process with them to help them understand that, particularly when you're talking about, uh, you know, people who are married, so couples, um, the likelihood that one of them is going to live longer mm-hmm. than e- either of them individually <clears throat> is right. a is a big factor. Um, and I think I have some statistics on the, the the seminar that we do that if you're age 62, basically if you're just single and you're male, you can expect to live to about age 82. Um, and if you're you're single. Or, or, or female, rather, age 62, you can expect to live to about 85 or 85 and a half, something like that. But the joint life expectancy, though, the odds that one of you lives longer is pretty great. Actually, it's about uh, 50% odds you make, to, make it to 89, so significantly longer than any one individually. And I think that's an important part because if you knew that, certainly you want to plan for, for receiving Social Security at a, a longer than than just your own individual life so expectancy. So are you saying most people, when they calculate out the break-even points – and there's this general process of uh, going, well, if I take it early, I get this amount of payment per month. Yeah. If I defer, I would get a slightly increased amount. Uh-huh. But I'm losing the pay- X many months. So say it was two years of deferment, right? Uh, I lose 24 payments. Yeah. That that total, the, the early payment times 24 gives you a, a number. Mm-hmm. Then you have to figure out, well, the increased amount I get each month from deferring, say it was $100 extra, I have to take the, the first number and divide it by that 100 to figure out how many periods of payments it takes, right? Yep, right. 
I'll come up with some break-even number this as well. Correct. I'd have to live to say age 80 for this for me to be in a better situation. Okay. Just as an example. Right. But what they're basing that on is their individual life expectancy. Yes. What are the odds that I will personally live to be 80? And then they do the same exercise with their spouse. What yes. are the odds that she will live to that life expectancy? And what are those two again? Give me the individual. Yeah, if you're individual age 62 and you're, you're, you're male. It's you're a man. Something like 81 and a half, 80, 82 years old. Okay. If you're female age 62, uh, it's like 85, 85 and a half. Okay. And you're saying the flaw in that theory would be, um, well, com- combined, there's a there's an expectancy that one of the two will live to 80, 89. Exactly right. And so you're you're using the wrong numbers in terms of the life expectancy. Right. So if you're doing these break-even uh, propositions, um, there's a there's a there's a chance that you're going to live longer than what you're one of the two of you will than the, each individual. Right. And that's not being for most people, they're not accounting for that. It's interesting because if you just run the the break-even analysis on taking it early versus the, the filing later. The break-even point is somewhere in your late 70s, 77, 78 years old. Okay. Which, by the way, is already, you know, less than the life expectancy life on an individual basis. Exactly. So why do you think people do that then? Why are they so apt to take it early? You know, I, I, there's a variety of reasons. I think one of them probably is uh, just is getting it, their hands on the dough. Hey, why not take free money if I can get it? Right. You know, people ask the question, Hey, can I? How do I increase my 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 income right now, rather than Hey, how can I maximize my income over my lifetime? We want to inc- it's a different inc- question. Increase immediate pleasure, even if it's uh, inc- and and we're always willing to defer pain, right? right? We, we, for that current benefit. Usually, that's the case. We if the pain is far enough off, we discount it. Yeah, I may not, may not live to eighty, so who knows? You know. Yeah. But certainly, the likelihood is that you do, and indeed, if you're married, certainly it is more likely than not that you'll be receiving payments for a longer period of time. Other things are, are surround uh, the question of Social Security being around in the future or significant changes coming to current beneficiaries, uh, which I think uh, people who are currently taking it or are about to take it probably won't see a lot of changes to it. But certainly, I would expect some changes to be made for people who have yet to file for it. Right. Maybe you are 55 or younger or something like that. Um, in any case, um, there's a variety of reasons why people have their own ideas of, of, of why they want to take it the way they do. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't usually revolve around any type of empirical or statistical analysis or, or just general life expectancy analysis. Uh, it's other other reasons. Um, but maximizing, obviously, is in everybody's best interest. And you know, you're not going to regret, I don't think, if you if you take it at 62, or rather you postpone and you die at 65, so you didn't didn't receive any payments because maybe we're going to wait until 70 to get it. You know, that's not, It's the, the problem is dying early, isn't they didn't take Social Security or not. Yeah, unless you're just trying to help the national deficit. <laughs> by taking the least optimal approach, right? Because so, that, yeah. that will put less strain on the system if you if if everyone continues to make a suboptimal choice about sure. Social Security. Right. I'm sure the the government doesn't mind. Right. Um, so go ahead. So p- part of the reason why this this uh, this joint life expectancy is so important is because of the various switching strategies involved. You know, it isn't just simply taking one person's Social Security benefits and that's the way it works. If, if, for example, um, I, I've, I have earned enough to qualify for Social Security benefits, but my wife, let's say, hasn't worked. She doesn't qualify for Social okay. Security benefits. Um, but my life expectancy is, is shorter than hers because I'm, I'm the same age or I'm older than she is. She's expected to live longer. When I pass away, she's going to get my Social Security benefits. Is it half or is it all? Well, uh, it'll be all at that point. Okay. Before, before while I, I'm alive, 
she can claim half of half of my benefits, basically. Okay. Um, but when I pass away, she'll step up to my full benefits. Step up, okay. That's how that will work. So that means, in essence, in this case, let's say I am 62. My wife was also 62. We can expect that we'll be, we will be receiving payments at the highest, you know, by whatever the highest, whatever the highest individual is, payment until is. like about 90. Until one, the very last person, yeah, the last, last to die. Dies. Okay, that's a long, long period of time, and ends up okay. being a lot of money. Furthermore, what I think is very interesting is this: um, if you postpone it, you're going to, the next year's payments are higher because they adjust not only for inflation. So not only is it real adjustments. So like, let's say uh, if you're 66 years old and you want to postpone it to 70, which usually is a pretty reasonable thing to do, you actually get an 8% per year compound higher payment. 8%? Per year. 8%. That's guaranteed. Plus, that's a real return because it's adjusted for whatever inflation is over that same period. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a real, a guaranteed real return of 8%. I don't know how many investments out there offer a guaranteed real return of 8%. It's pretty good. I don't know many at all. Yeah. So uh, for that reason alone, it's a good deal. But then considering, obviously, you'll you'll get that for the rest of your life and the life expectancy of your wife or your spouse as well. It's a pretty good deal. Okay. Simon, how are we on the time here? All right, great. Do you want me to – we can talk briefly about that. uh, One of the strategies which I talk about on on the presentation on our website, again, at empirical.net. Um, which is the file and suspend strategy. Sure. And then we'll, maybe at the end, we'll go through the, this, this article okay. um, and see how that relates to what we, yeah. Great. So uh, this file and suspend idea, uh, this really is applicable when you just, you have one spouse, again, it's for married couples in this situation. You have one spouse who's qualified for Social Security and the other uh, has not. So let's let's assume it's me again. I'm full retirement age. I'm 66. Um, I, I would go ahead and file for benefits. But then I would immediately turn around and suspend benefits, which seems kind of strange. But it does two things for me. A, it allows my spouse then to file for benefits under my earnings record. So she can start receiving half my benefits. All right. uh, I should say not half of my benefits, but benefits equal to half what I'm going to get. Okay. Because really, they're two separate things. And let's say that benefit for her is $15,000. Half my benefit at full retirement age is $15,000. So she can start receiving $15,000 a year. Checks will be going to her every month. And while I will have deferred my benefits, I won't file until I'm 70. Right. Actually start receiving benefits until I'm 70. So, for, again, for, for four years, I don't receive any, anything to my, in myself. But my wife, for the whole period of time, is receiving that $15,000 a month adjusted for inflation. Okay. And the reason why uh, she, she would want to do that is because for spousal benefits, the max you can get, is at full retirement age. You don't get anything further by postponing past full retirement age. Okay. So she wouldn't wait, let's say, a year to start filing for benefits and then get a higher payment. It's always going to be what it is at 66. So the maximum she can get of the uh, of the spouse is what you're saying. Yeah, the spousal benefit stops growing at, at full retirement age. At age 66 is what you said. Exactly. In that particular, in this particular. Okay, currently 66. Yeah. Okay. So that's why, in order for her to get that, though, he had to file initially? Yeah, that's right. And then what's the process of suspending? This is saying, hey, I filed for it, but now I'm going to put it on a pause almost? It's exactly what it is. Okay. You fill out the application to file, and then you, I'm sure there's another application that says, I want to immediately suspend benefits. Hmm. So you can probably you can do it in the same meeting, right? Okay. Down at the Social Security office. That'll make my spouse, the spouse, eligible the non-working spouse eligible to receive benefits, but also allows you then to defer yours until whenever you want to take it. Okay. Which usually might, you know, let's say my case would be age 70. Okay. And then if my wife indeed outlives me by a couple of years or a few years, 
when I die, she'll step up to the amount that I was receiving at age 70. Okay. Which is a big deal. A lot of money there. Because now at age 70, when you're taking it, you're taking the highest to maximum allowable amount for you. That's exactly right. Right? So if I was going to get no benefit in deferring, you can't defer beyond that, right? Right. 70. So that's where the maximum maximum is. Bingo. Now, she's been getting half of the age 66 amount. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which this is a spouse who didn't have her own earnings record. Is that what we're dealing yeah, with? Yeah, that's here? the example, right? Okay. Um, and at age uh, seventy, Brown, he she gets the amount she was getting. He's now getting the the other amount, the, the age seventy amount. Yeah, let's let's pass away. She bumps up to that, the full amount of that. Right. So at sixty six, she's getting fifteen thousand a year mm-hmm. through age sixty six, seven, eight, and then seventy. At seventy. I get my payments, which are 30, 32% higher than they, w- they would have been at age 66. I like the sound right? of that. So let's call that $38,000 because I wasn't getting $30,000 at, at age 66. So now my check's going to be $38,000 a year, plus my wife is getting $15,000 a year. So it's my check plus her check is the total benefits received going, going forward. And then once I pass away, if I predecease her, her, she will step up to my full benefit of $38,000 a year. And that's real dollars, by the way. That's just for inflation every single year. That's uh, that's real stuff. That's a lot of money. At well, yeah, we're going to have to take a quick break, but I do have a few questions about that. So when we get back, let's get right back to this discussion about how to how to really optimize your Social Security decision-making process. All right. Okay, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Okay, we're back at Empirical Investing Radio. Your host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. We're having a very good conversation about Social Security. I'm going to go through some more examples of uh, what, what we commonly see and then why, what we usually end up uh, at least introducing to in terms of clients and so forth. If you'd like to join the conversation today, feel free to shoot us an email or give us a call. We can be reached at contact at empiradio.com or uh, via phone at 866-472-5790. So, Ethan, we were talking about a couple that was uh, the same. Each of them were the same age. In your example, the wife hadn't, um, or one of the two did not have any earnings record. Right. The other has uh, had the earnings record. Mm-hmm. And the the a way of of increasing or optimizing, um, particularly if you believe you'll live at least your to your life expectancy. Right. Um, and then considering the joint life expectancy being even longer, uh, it's even a better deal. And the approach here was the the wage earning spouse mm-hmm. files at age 66, which was the normal retirement, full retirement age, mm-hmm. and immediately suspends the payment. Right. So that person is not receiving any payments after that, and defers until age 70. Right. The the, the other spouse, the non earning spouse, files though. At age 66, for and gets half the benefits right away. Right. At age 70, the first wage earning spouse then takes their full deferred uh, benefit, mm-hmm. and they start, which was 32 plus percent, or 32 percent higher than it if would they be took it at age 66. Exactly. The 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 non-earning spouse do they continue at the same payment rate then that they took uh, when they started taking half at 66? Yeah, their payment only goes up in the future via inflation. Okay. Or at the point where the first spouse passes away, yes. then it goes up to the higher amount. Correct. So that, okay, that's how that works. Now, what I was saying is what what's what are you normally seeing then for that in that scenario? What would be a typical thing for people to do? Yeah, I think in that situation where there's one in earnings record, and let's assume also that there's no... There's no reason medically for that they they would they have a, a shortened life expectancy, right? And perhaps they're also they have average longevity in their family too. So they don't have those two things going against them. There's average or better. In that situation, I see most often that folks would wait till full retirement age to take it. Uh, but it's interesting that if, if they come to that conclusion, well, that's even you know, in other words, they deferred from 62 to 66. They didn't take it early, and then they 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 just. Both start taking it at 66. Right. You're saying that's what normally occurs most of the time. I mean, people do all kinds of things, but I think it's most common for that to occur. Okay. But if if you come to the conclusion that hey, deferring four years is is good, because obviously you're getting more money at that time, and then again, this first spouse to die, uh, the the surviving spouse rather steps up to the the higher amount. It's the same logic that would get you to do the file and suspend strategy and waiting till 70 for the primary earning. Wage earner to, to file for benefits. Okay, um, so I think it's most common. Anyway, that's how I look at it. Okay. Interestingly, if you were, let's say, you were at sixty-five, so okay. both spouses are sixty-five and full retirement age is sixty-six, you cannot execute the file and suspend strategy. You only have the choice to file and suspend once you've reached full retirement age. 
So you couldn't do it earlier, in other words. I see. You have, once you file, so what you, happens earlier? You just take it early? And yep, then there you just take no, it early. You can't suspend. Is right. that what you're saying? Okay. Right. So let's say, for example, you took it at 62. You did take it early. Okay. And um, you, then you realize, oh, shoot, maybe I, maybe I, I shouldn't have done that. Well, you, you can't stop, basically, unless you've done it. You, you have uh, only been receiving it for less than a year. So let's say you, you filed at 62, and then now you're 62 and a half, and you realize maybe, hey, I want to do this over. Well, you can do that, actually. You can go through and, and then pay back the money you originally uh, received from Social Security, and it'll be as if you never filed. Okay. But let's say you're 62, and now you wait. Within a one-year period. Yeah, with the, you have a one-year period to do that. It used to be that you had an unlimited number of years to do that. Okay. Um, so there were some, uh, some abuses started to occur there, so they stopped that. Now it's only one year, which, okay. is, which is reasonable. But let's say, for example, you're 62, and you, you uh, now you're 65, and you'd like to, uh, to kind of redo things. Well... Um, what you can do, actually, you'd have to wait till full retirement age, rather, to to then suspend payments. So okay. you, you have a choice to kind of do that as, as well. You don't pay anything back; you stop receiving payments. But then it would your 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 um, uh, delayed retirement credits would begin again to accrue between age sixty six and seventy if you took it earlier. Okay. So what you what you got between sixty two and and sixty six? Is that yeah. That you can't. You're not paying those back. Right. And but what and what's accruing then in terms of a higher payment is not the difference between what you get a god if you took it at six two and six six it's now I'm getting a higher payment from sixty six to whenever right yeah that's right is that how that works so let's say you took it at sixty two yeah. again you actually get a and let's say your your full retirement benefits are are uh, say thirty thousand dollars of full retirement okay well you're, if you took it at sixty two it's roughly a six percent per year decrease in payments if you start it early for each year, year you take it early okay approximately. Got it. So that'd be twenty four percent less, basically. Okay. So your payment would not be thirty thousand dollars at sixty two; they'd be twenty four percent less. Okay. So that's that will be that's where the starting point would be at age sixty six if you then deferred payments again. So it'd be from a lower amount. So it'd be permanently. Okay. So permanently then it decreased. just whatever that lower amount is, it's all been indexed for inflation, right? Yeah, that's all true. But it, whatever that is, then it just starts accruing from that point at age sixty six to up to maximum of age seventy. Right. Okay. So you'd get some of it back, but you'd, your benefit, benefits would be permanently reduced in that case. Although, obviously, there'd still be some benefit to get the the, the, the higher amounts later, assuming right. it's the correct the same, situation. The same uh, relationship between the payment increasing and deferring is there. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. What else? Uh, the other strategy we talk about, and again, this is all um, – these, these two examples are, are on our website in the video we created at empirical.net. Uh, under the five secrets of retirement success, but the other switching strategy involves uh, what's called a restricted application, and this is usually used when you have two people, two spouses, uh, or rather both spouses that have that qualify independently for Social Security benefits. Um, it's very similar um, to the file and suspend strategy we just went over, um, but in essence, it's a little different because there's a different twist on it. Um, let's say I'm, let, let's walk through an example again here. So let's say I'm at full retirement age. My wife is also the same age as I am, for simplicity's sake. Let's say she's 66 and I'm also 66. Um, well, actually, in that case, it's it's goofy. It gets really weird. You can file, both of you file and basically suspend, but collect benefits under each other's earnings record for a period of time, letting both defer your own primary benefits till age 70 if you wanted to. Mm. So that's <clears throat> a lot of different complexities that can go on. So if you're exactly the same age, that's what you probably would do. Um, uh, but let's say you're not the same age. Let's say one person is 62, maybe my spouse is 62, and I'm 66. 
Okay. We both qualify for Social Security under our, our, own, our own earnings record. Yes. Um, it could be a situation where I file and maybe she files at the same time. So that makes her eligible to receive benefits and also makes me eligible to receive benefits under each other's earnings record. Okay. It's kind of all these strange rules. I'm surprised they exist, but yet they do. Um, in this case, I could file suspend, and she would uh, that would make her eligible to receive benefits under my earnings record, basically, and allow me to receive benefits under her earnings record, right? So I would basically be getting getting payments under her earnings record, while mine own mine own <laughs> is deferred until age seventy. Okay. Um, but because she's taken early, she actually has to take the higher of the two that's available to her at that time. Okay. So whatever's higher, whether it be half of mine or her own, she'd have to get at that point in time. But the, the, the cool thing is I would then be getting payments under her earnings record for four years before I file for my own. So we have effectively um, all of us getting payments at the same time under different pe- people's earnings record. It's people helping people, Ethan. It's very complex. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, and there's a and million... you've seen this. There, yeah, there, and I have. And there's a million ways to slice this up depending on the ages and the, and the different earnings amounts. So there's almost... I mean, it's not infinite, but there's a lot of different possibilities right? yeah right um, for even just people who are are slightly different ages um, so what you want to do in this case especially you want to figure out how best to take this you need to, you need to talk to an expert or have someone who has a basically a computer program that helps you optimize this because okay. you can't just do run the math and go oh, hey this is what I need to do right in, in that a complex situation okay yeah wow it gets it gets crazy right yeah it's complex do you think that they'll Simplify this in the future, or, or do what our government usually does and make things more complicated. <laughs> I, I doubt they'll change these these uh, okay. particular things. I haven't heard any rumblings about that. Um, I suspect they may change what the benefits actually are, or how the benefits are calculated, but the actual strategies involved, I, I would doubt. I would doubt would be changed. Okay. Yeah. And what are we referring that to? That that that. What you just described? That's, that's the restricted application. Restricted application. They, I think they call it that because if I'm reaching full retirement age, I could file, but then restrict my benefits to my spouse's earnings record, not my own. It's mm. kind of the idea, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's that's kind of how that works. And there's all the, obviously lots of other um, scenarios. So if you're widowed, for example, or a widower, or if you've, you've been divorced, um, there are a lot of other nuances with Social Security, um, but they all fundamentally kind of start with either the file and suspend or restricted applications, uh, even if you're a widow or, or if you're – you have to understand those things to understand the others, I think, more clearly. Okay. Um, one thing we will be doing, and I'm already working on this, on this kinks we, we talked about it, uh, earlier in the week, is, is uh, adding those scenarios in writing to our website. So right now we don't have anything other than the video on there about Social Security, but we're going to have add a little tab that talks about the different ways to to take Social Security, whether you're you know, you're, you're you're married, um, or if you're divorced, or if you're widowed, or you know in, any number of situations. Right. So we'll be there as a resource for folks here in the coming weeks. Well, that'd be great. Um, do you want to talk about that? Or any questions on what I've said here, Ken? Or do you want to talk no, about? No, I get it. It's very 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 interesting. All right. Um, so we've talked about the um, those two strategies, and Eric sent over an article to me just before the show here today as well, um, which is the different methods of uh, sort of uh, making changes to your Social Security. Okay. So we already kind of talked about one of those, um, which is if you you claim Social Security and then you decide, hey, I want to redo, 
Um, and you can pay that back if you're doing it, doing it within 12 months of the first filing date. All right. Um, you all, let's say, for example, though, that isn't your situation. Maybe you took it at 66, not realizing that um, you could do the file, could have done the file and suspend strategy. Um, <clears throat> and then maybe now you're 68 years old. Well, again, you can you can suspend payments anytime once you're in full retirement age. So you can basically start over, not start over, but suspend, suspend payments and then begin to build those delayed retirement credits. You know, that oh, 8% I see. Year I talked about. While not interfering with your spouse, your spouse's spousal benefits. So that's that's something to think about too, as well. And I think this is a very good topic um, for another reason besides just okay. maximizing Social Security. Um, and that is how this this interplay goes between Social Security and Roth conversions. You know, clearly, if you have Social Security as as income in retirement, say early in retirement, so you're 60 to, to 70 in that range. Uh, when you're taking Social Security, obviously that money is taxed, right? A large percentage of that is taxed. Um, and that means basically you have less less taxable room in your income tax bracket to convert assets from Roth, from IRAs to Roths. Okay. Um, so there's a lot a lot of synergy that occurs between these two strategies. They're really kind of interdependent in a way. Right. And work very well together. So um, maybe we can talk more about the next show. Okay. I think we're running out of time for today, Ethan, but uh, we're going to start featuring a lot more discussion about retirement-making decisions on each program, so we'll have ample time to, to get deeper into the Social Security and Roth conversion and other things like how we should invest during retirement as well. Sounds so, great. Thank you very much for tuning in this week, and uh, we'll be back next week with Empirical Investing Radio. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.